0: Well good morning and uh, what a joy it is to be together. Uh, the, uh, the sun has decided to come out and uh, glorious day. Um, we were thinking this morning in the prayer meeting about connections, about all the things that God has done in our lives, the people that God has put into our lives that have had an a, 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 and a a kind of impact in terms of building foundations, and as I look back over my life, I'm so grateful for that there's so many people that God has put in my life, and and, uh, God connects us, and one of the connections that's happening right now is for Duncan and Mark and Tom, who are in Bulgaria today. So we've been praying for them this morning. Do lift them up in your prayers. Uh, they've had, from what we've heard, they've had a great time. They've had some great meetings. Uh, they has been, uh, been able to, uh, you know, really focus on the prophetic. And we're praying that the church will be strengthened uh, and encouraged and equipped. So uh, it's great to know that God is using us, you know, as a people to be a blessing to, to others and to connect us. Okay, we're we're in a series on uh, on Revelation, and uh, last week Dunk was uh, uh, preaching through the um, uh, the seven churches, and we're moving on into uh, Revelation four and five today. And uh, you'll see there's a a text number, a, a mobile number, uh, there on the screen. And what we wanted to do was give people an opportunity to, uh, if things come up through this series. Uh, they wanted to ask a question, just jot that number down now. So, okay, so this is your opportunity, jot it down, put it in your mobile and uh, when that question pops into your head and thinking, what on earth is he talking about? Then you can send a, 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 a quick text and we'll pick up all of those and then that'll help us to get some feedback Um, and it will also help us to pick up questions that we could perhaps bring um, to hopefully uh, bring some more helpful thoughts on that. So please do make use of that. Uh, We know that this is a a, a quite a challenging book um, and those of us who are preaching through it definitely know that to be true. Um, But we do want to to hear God in it. We do want this to be a word to the church right now. So uh, uh, do feel free. To use that, I wonder what you enjoy doing with your spare time. Uh, what do you tend to do when you're sitting on a train or on a plane or just sitting at home with uh, with uh, not you know some free time? Um, I'll, I'll let you into a little secret. Um, my love is puzzles. I love puzzles. If you pop the first slide up, uh, you might recognise um, some of the. Oops, sorry. We're going to read the scripture first. Uh, sorry, Ruby, that was my mistake. So we'll we'll come back to uh, we'll come back to puzzles in just a moment. Let's uh, let's focus God's word first. Okay. So if you've got a Bible and you want to open it to Revelation 4, and we're going to start reading in verse one. And before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence here with us. We thank you, Lord, for just, you draw close, Lord, as we, as we draw close to you. So we love it that you so want to draw close to us. And I pray, Lord, as we hear your word, as we, uh, right now, Father, just make space in our hearts for your word. Would it come alive? Would it come and feed us and speak to us? Would it equip us and anoint us? Would it lead us into deeper and deeper love with your Son? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Revelation 4, verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Cornelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And if you move down to verse 8... who seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And Chapter 5, verse 1. from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he'd taken the scroll, the four living scriptures, creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth so back to puzzles so you might recognize some of those puzzles there word searches and crosswords and uh, it's uh, whenever we go on holiday we always make sure we have a a puzzle book uh, packed and uh, it's uh, in those few moments uh, newspapers very helpfully have something that you can flick to. Uh, when I spend uh, sig- significant amounts of time of my life on a train and uh, there are ways to pass the time. But there's a particular sort of puzzle that I, I, I say I like, but I find them quite challenging. So if we go on to the next slide, I wonder if you recognize this type of puzzle. It's called a logic puzzle. And they give you a set of information, and then you have to try and kind of work through that and be able to work out, so if that's true, that must be true, and that lines up, and, and kind of gradually build up the picture until you're able to work out all the different facets of, uh, 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 and, and get the solution. And, and I think that was a really helpful illustration for me as we come to look at the Book of Revelation uh, you know, God has provided a book that at times will challenge us, and uh, we can, if you're not careful, get pulled into lots, of, lots and lots of different ways of looking at it and interpreting it. And uh, I think our, our challenge is to stay true to Scripture, and that's what I hope I'm going to do today. If I don't, then that's your job to come and tell me afterwards. But we'll come back to the logic puzzle in a little while. So I want to start by having read those, those passages in Revelation to say first and foremost, we need to get a big picture. One of the dangers with the book of Revelation is we, we kind of dive in on the detail. We kind of focus on, on those little facets of the different elements of what's going on. And if we're not careful, we miss the big picture of what's going on. And uh, right at the beginning there, we read that John receives an invitation to come up here through an open door into the presence of the Ancient of Days, to, be, to come into the heavenlies. He's in the spirit, like the Apostle Paul, who could speak, uh, but he found it so difficult to, you know, to be able to explain or to describe. They had glimpses of the heavenly realm And the future things here are going to be explained to John. Just think for a moment. He's brought right into the throne room of God. Right into the presence of God. Here we have the best record a mortal man can convey of the heavenly realm. You see, we've been told that no one can see God. That's consistent through scripture. No one can see the Lord Almighty. But here... John is brought into his very presence. This is the power of the Spirit. He gets a glimpse, a foretaste, a foresight of the kingdom that is is and is coming. And there are several things here we need to take careful note of. Firstly, we read straight away, there's a throne in heaven. This signifies power and authority. It signifies rule and reign it declares that this is the seat through which all power is going to be uh, administered. I wonder, has anybody ever visited Buckingham Palace since it's been opened? Oh, not many of you. Oh, okay. Um, so, uh, so if you... Uh, just a few people do every year, I can reliably inform you. Um, uh, hundreds of thousands. And uh, one of the highlights, if you visit Buckingham Palace, is the throne room is to enter into that large room and to, to see the throne there. And of course, in our, in, our, in our nation, that's largely symbolic. But we still get that that's the place where rule and reign was due to take place. That there, it was literally the place where fate of individuals and whole countries and peoples would have been decided. And what we've got here is not a glimpse at some symbolic throne room. Here, we're encountering the throne room over the whole of creation. Not just a people, not just a country, not just some part of the world. No, over the whole of the world. We we encounter the one who rules and reigns every part of the creation. So John beholds a throne. But the focal point also for John is not just the throne, but someone is seated on the throne. John is able only to convey. Can you imagine what it was like? It would be like trying to describe that scene of of, of being in the spirit, being right there. And we read, he says that, uh, and he sat there, and had the appearance of jasper and cornelian. What I get from that is these are like precious. You know, gems, precious stones. And and the the picture I get is if you can imagine something so highly polished and then you flood it with light, all you would be aware of is the brilliance and the aura uh, that would come. And uh, so he describes it there. Uh, It is so bright, so brilliant, um, like that highly polished gem. And a sea of glass surrounds the throne and an emerald rainbow is continually present. And they talk of its purity and its brilliance and its majesty. Do you know, we sometimes say, and I've heard this many times and I've said it myself, sometimes when we're feeling a bit down and things aren't going too well, we sometimes say, you know, God's on the throne. And we kind of feel a bit sorry for ourselves and we go, yeah, God's still on the throne. Do you know, it's true. It's true, we need to understand the significance and the profound truth in these words. He really is ruling and reigning. He's the sovereign king, he's the Lord of all. It's the truth that we need to know. You see, the people who are gonna read this book were not actually people sitting in a lecture theater or signed up for a course on, on understanding God a bit better. These were persecuted Christians. These were people who were facing death. To, to know Jesus and to acknowledge Jesus was in times to sign your own death warrant. These were martyrs that were dying for the cause of Christ. And what did they need? Did they need a rule book right now? Did they need somebody to just remind them, You know, these are the key things you must remember to keep doing? Did they need a sergeant major to drill them to make sure that they kept doing the right things. No, no. They needed a revelation of who God is and what he's like. They needed to know that there's one true God seated on the throne, that all of history is in his hands. Life and death will ultimately serve his purpose. And no life is wasted You see, here, for those of us who are believers, there's great assurance and great comfort and great hope because God is on the throne. He really is working out your life and my life. He's working through all that's happening in the world right now, even Brexit, and he's working to get us to a place where we'll be able to uh, be part of and impart and and combined in his great plan. It's interesting just to think for a moment about the Christians who would have been reading this letter. It was said of Christians at that time, see how well they die. See how well they die. The people around couldn't work it out. Why could they have such assurance and such confidence and face persecution and even death and yet do that with a sense of assurance and hope, It's because they knew, because they knew, there was a king, there was a God, who was seated on the throne. The heavenly scene moves on, and in chapter 5, we read of a mighty angel proclaiming who is worthy to open the scroll. And it's written on both sides, and it's sealed with seven seals. This makes John weep, he weeps loudly. Why? You see, the purposes and plan of God are sealed, which means they can't be fulfilled. We're told the scroll is written on both sides, and commentators believe it describes human history. It, it describes God's plan. And the judgments we'll read coming up in chapter 6 and the salvation story in chapter 7 and beyond, they're all contained there. So John weeps loudly because he realises that God's plan right now is sealed. It can't be fulfilled. It's frozen. Just imagine, that might be harder for some of us than others, just imagine somebody put a million pounds in your bank account. Okay, So yeah, you might look twice when you got the statement or you checked it online, but somebody put a million pounds in your bank account and you're just rejoicing over provision and all the wonder that's gonna bring. And, uh, and then you get a phone call uh, from the fraud squad and they say, uh, say, Mr. Tack, we've just frozen all your assets because uh, we need to check out what's happening. Can you imagine that? So one minute you've got it and the next minute it's all been seized, it's all been frozen. It's sitting there in the bank account but it's no longer available to you. That's what John's seeing right Right here right now. You see, without actually being able to, to break the, uh, the seals, then God's purposes cannot be fulfilled. It's worth noting here. Have you ever heard or been tempted to think that all religions lead to God? That's quite a common idea that people put You know, well, it kind of doesn't really matter what you believe. They all kind of end up in the same place, don't they? Well, actually, this tells us, this passage tells us, no one, no one was available. No one came forward. No one was able to open the scrolls. No one was able to unleash God's plan for this world. No one. until the lamb comes into view. As one who was slain and there he is, there's complete and total recognition that he alone is worthy. There's no one else who has the power and authority to fulfill the sovereign plan, only Jesus. There is only one savior. Whatever anybody may tell you, this book makes clear. It talks of the end and it says there's only one savior. It's also worth noting what's taking place uh, in, in this heavenly realm. What's, 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 what activity is going on? What unfolds before John? And of course, it's worship. It's worship. It's noisy. It's exuberant. It's engaging worship. Heaven is full of worship. Worship to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Everything is given in worship. And this is my, my first point to you today. What's the priority of worship in your life? I've had to ask myself that question this week. What's the priority of worship in our lives? Does it matter if you're here on a Sunday? Is it kind of you know, something convenient when it fits to join with God's people as we worship? What about life groups? Why have we called them life groups? Because we want people to encounter the life of God as we meet together, as we unpack the promises uh, that God has that lead to eternal life. When you're on your own, what does worship look like for you when you're on your own, when you have those moments and you're thinking how to come before God? You see, worship, first and foremost, is the attitude of our hearts. First and foremost, it's making ourselves available to a holy and loving God. Can I suggest it's your greatest calling? Everything you and I do are to be done through worship. Putting out chairs, thank you, those who are here this morning. Thank you for those who are here every Sunday morning setting this room up, putting out chairs, serving coffee, doing the PA and the projection and so many, so many other things, working with our kids. It just goes on and on. We can do that in an attitude of worship. Things that you do at home, bringing up your children, loving your husband and your wife, serving your community being salt and light in the places that you work. They all count because that's your opportunity to reflect your heart of worship to others. I want us to think just for a moment about what happens here on a Sunday morning. Why do we do what we do? Well, I think, and that's what I believe is our heart as elders, that worship is one of our core Values, beliefs. Why? Because it tunes our hearts. It opens us up. It means we work as a body to hear and be available to God. You see, I want to hear God speaking to me. And I love it when I come week by week and I hear God speaking through you and through his word and through the worship. See, this is the place that God has provided for us to be tuned together, built up, and equipped, so we don't keep a register. We do get concerned when people don't come because we love you. But for, first and foremost, it's the place for us to encounter. It's a place of intimacy. How intimate is your relationship with God right now? If I was to to ask you to uh, just to think for a moment about the level of intimacy. And then to, to think of that on a scale from one to 10, one being that God just seems totally distant, totally unavailable. He's there, he's this figure that exists, and you know that, you can believe it in your head. And 10 means that you just know what it is to know the love of fa- the Father, to feel that heavenly cuddle, to be able to press into him any time, day or night, if, if, if that's the scale of one to 10, where would you put yourself on that scale today? Just think for a moment, where would you put yourself on that scale? Come back and just reflect on this a bit more in a moment. So I wanted us to, to sort of step back and get a big picture to try and get a greater understanding of, of what this means for us as believers. But there is some interesting parts to this, uh, uh, in, to, in, in this chapter that I want to try and address as well. So having got the big picture, we're just going to do a few moments of detail together. We're going to move fairly fast through this, so hold on to your seat. 24 plus 4, 24 elders, 4 living beings, 4 living creatures. What are they? Who are they? And uh, what we understand is uh, that this passage gives us an insight into key activity taking place in heaven. And just before I try and even begin to um, unpack this, there's a really key, key principle that I think we need to recognize. And that is when we come to try and make sense of scripture, when we try and come to get an understanding of it, the starting point must always be to use scripture to interpret scripture. Yeah. Very often what we do is we try and get somebody else's understanding or some you know, person who takes a particular view of the world and then try and reflect that into what we're reading. And that's, that's the danger for all of us. We read it through the lenses, through the filters uh, of, our own, uh, of our own experience. And, and as we come, we need to interpret scripture through scripture wherever we possibly can. Do you remember my illustration of the logic puzzle? That you've been given enough information to try and work it out. And uh, I believe that as we look at this, this next section, Uh, on who are the 24 elders? Who are the four living beings? I want to try and do that. And I'm grateful to those who've given their life to the study and understanding of that. People like John Piper, um, uh, Phil Moore, John Hosier, and many others uh, who've devoted themselves. Okay, so here's our whistle-stop tour. The 24 elders. We read in... Revelation 4.4, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. So clothed in white garments, clothed in white, what does that seem to be referring to? Last week we read Revelation 3.5 as part of what Dunk was preaching and it says, Revelation 3.5, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I'll never blot out his name, name out of the book of life. I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. So we see it's a gift of God that people are clothed in white garments. So crowns of gold on their head. Revelation 2.10, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested And for ten days you'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. Seated on thrones. So, what's that about? 24 seated on thrones. Matthew 19, 28. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And can we see that anywhere else? Luke 22, 29 and 30. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So we see these are Christians, these are triumphant Christians who've persevered and through following Jesus have received everything we've read there. They're now clothed in white garments. They've got crowns of gold on their head and they're seated on thrones. So the next question is, why 24? Who are the 24? So if we read, go forward and read Revelation 21, 12 to 14, this is what it tells us. He had a great high wall, talking of the New Jerusalem, with twelve gates and the gates of twelve angels. And on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Do you see it there? The 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles of Jesus. 12 and 12, 24. My kind of maths. And uh, can we see this anywhere else? Revelation fifteen three, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. So we see here that the Old Testament believers and the New Testament believers are joined together. These 24 are the representatives of God's people. Believers, disciples, they're the coming together of all that God has done through the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. They are representatives so we see here that the 24 are triumphant Christians, those who've come through the trials, those who've come through the setbacks and the disappoint, dis, dis, setbacks and disappointments. And they, what we have here is a representation of them in the 24 elders. So what about the four living creatures? Who are they? And, uh, we read that uh, there's four of them. Very often, numbers in scripture is really important. Uh, seven so often signifies the number of wholeness or completion. Four here uh, is often understood to represent uh, creation, the number of creation. And uh, these four beings with different faces, but all involved in worship. And uh, we see here that they're leading worship. They are in the throne room of God, declaring what is true and bringing glory and honor that is right and fitting. We read of very similar events in Ezekiel's vision in chapter 1, 1 to 14, and Isaiah's vision in chapter 6, 1 to 6. And these could well be seraphim angels that lead the worship choruses in heaven, but it's worth noting here that there are different types of angels, there are archangels. And I don't have the time today to unpack all of this, but sometimes we have this idea of little beings that float around, but that's not true. Angels, we read earlier about a mighty angel. We read of how angels intercede in different parts of history and time, and were so much there at the time of Jesus in all that he did. And we know that there are myriads, thousands upon ten thousands of angels worshipping. And uh, we need to understand that God is a creator God. And so these four living creatures are those that are anointed and bring worship to the king. They bring worship to the Lord. So that's our whistle-stop tour of why 24 elders and the four living creatures. And I'm coming to the end, you'll be pleased to know. So what does this mean for you and me? What does it mean? Well, firstly, it means there's a king seated on the throne. You see, for those of us who right now are going through difficulty and disappointment and discouragement, God wants you to know that he's in control. And that may seem a direct, direct opposition to your experience right now. Everything that's happening for you right now may seem to contradict that and make that as if it's not true. But Revelation tells us the truth, that he is seated. Seated means he's sat down, he has conquered, he's overcome, he's put together the plan and he's fully, fully, fully going to to bring it to fulfilment. I believe that for some people today, this is a time where you need strength and hope in the battles that you're facing. And a revelation for you is to know that God is in control. He's in control of those circumstances in your life. He's in control of the impossibilities that you're facing. He's in control of those situations that others have said cannot happen and won't take place. He's in control. The second thing is that we go forward a few chapters and we, we encounter this throne again and again. The, the, whole, the whole understanding of the throne is no, no, nowhere greater expanded than in the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 20, we read, then I saw a great white throne Each of them according to what they'd done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The reality is, without Jesus, we're lost. Do you know that you're lost? Do you know that without Jesus, you have no hope? and one day that is the reality that each and every one of us will face so often we we think god is on the throne and that's great but the reality is we need to know the truth of that and the reality of that in our lives you see there's only one way there's only one way to achieve salvation but the more important thing is do you need do you know that you need to be saved Do you know the truth that without Jesus, you're lost? See, only the lamb is worthy. There was no one to open the scroll, no one else to put our trust and our faith in, no one else to somehow feel that they can actually make the difference in our lives, only one. See, without the cross, we're lost. We're without hope. And all we can do is live for today and fill our lives with things that might satisfy. But all the time knowing that we're empty inside. You see, there's only one saviour. Only one who was slain on the cross and brought back to life, having conquered sin and death. That's why as Christians we can die with great hope. Some of us attended Phil Brooks's funeral yesterday in South London Phil was a, uh, a member here for many years and uh, had, in latter years, had to uh, go through some significant and serious health issues that at times, a number of times, had threatened his, uh, his life. And yet he'd fought through and uh, was here with us over a long period of time. And it was a joy to join with Christians, with his family, uh, with brothers and sisters there. Recognising that Phil is now at home with the Lord. And uh, that's the hope he had and that's the truth of what is offered to each and every one of us. I just want to take us back for a few moments to that question that I asked you. If you had to rate the level of intimacy in your relationship with God between one and ten, where would, it, where would you put it? what number would you give it? And I really felt like I was, I was preparing this. There was an invitation from the Father to say, come up closer. Come closer to me. There's an invitation to intimacy. More than anything else, God is wanting to bring you into a greater and greater understanding of his love for you. More than anything you do to serve him, more than anything you do to, to be good enough. You're never gonna do it. He wants to bring you into a greater understanding of intimacy. So as I finish, there's, there's three people, there's three, three groups who I just wanted to encourage you and, uh, uh, and ask you to, to seriously think about today. If, if you know that actually, whatever it looks like on the surface, that on that day, when you stood in front of the great white throne, you won't be able to use the name of Jesus. I want to encourage you. This is the day of salvation. This is the day to know God's grace and love and favor and to come to him. And you can do that very simply by coming to, to talk to, uh, to one of us. Come and actually just take the time to say, I think I need to know more about this. I want to encourage you to do that. I want to say to those of us who right now, things, this is a tough season. This is a tough time in your life. I believe that God is offering strength and hope. And uh, there'll be opportunity at the end to pray for one another. Do take that. Don't struggle alone. Let others stand alongside you and help you. And I believe for every single one of us, there's an invitation to intimacy. Invitation. So often, we can just allow our love for God to grow cold. We read about that last week, didn't we? Worship is the key to intimacy. Allowing God to touch your heart afresh. So I want to encourage you to actually say wherever I am on that scale wherever I am that this is a day when I'm going to say Lord I want to move up even if it's only one notch if it's only one degree I want to move up I don't want to stay where I am I'm going to invite the the band to come back now as I pray to be open to all that God is wanting to say and do in this time Father we are so amazed as heaven is is pulled back and we we catch this glimpse of the heavenly realm that we see that, that you are seated in all authority in all power that you're ruling and reigning over all of creation over all of time and that you are fulfilling your plan and purpose. Father, thank you that for the revelation that there was only one, only one who was worthy to open the scrolls, only one who could bring about the plan and purpose that one day will culminate in a new heaven and a new earth, where sin will be no more, where sorrow and sighing will no longer be present, and we'll stand in the glory, and bask in the light of the of the Lamb. So, Father, I pray for us as Your people. Draw us closer, Father. I pray, in Jesus' name, Amen. You have been listening to a sermon from Christchurch Helsham. For more information or to contact us, visit ChristchurchHelsham.org.